Hi, welcome to the Axe Church UK weekly podcast. We hope you will be inspired and blessed by today's message. Enjoy! If you're ready for the word today, I hope you're excited. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thought, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both. Cancelling their debts, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Church, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the beauty and the richness of your word. And God, in this moment, God, I pray, may you hide me behind your cross. As I speak, God, today may be a Tuesday and the word, we might only be watching this on a Sunday. But God, we thank you that your word remains true. Your word remains powerful and your word remains, oh God, in our hearts and in our spirits today. Lord, I pray, oh God, as I speak, may you uh, may you lead every word I say and may it be of you and from you alone. Lord, I pray as people listen today, God, may our hearts be softened and open to your word, oh God. And I pray for just an encounter with you today. And I thank you for these things, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this story that we uh, we read in Luke uh, would sound very very familiar and very similar to you, uh, to all of you, from stories in different portions of scripture, from Mark, Matthew, and in John. I don't know why I jumped in random. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have kind of the similar story, but if you look a little bit closer, the story in Matthew, Mark, and John is actually a little bit different from the story in Luke. It, on the surface, it seems exactly the same. A woman brings an alabaster jar to Jesus, uses it, breaks it at Jesus' feet, washes his feet, and she is at the home of many other men having dinner, and they all comment on her action in one way or another. But the story in Matthew, Mark, and John actually is about Mary, who is Martha and Lazarus's um, sister, and she brings her alabaster jar of perfume and she breaks it at Jesus's feet. And the people around them in, in those that story in Matthew, Mark and John um, are actually the disciples. And in one passage, Judas is also mentioned. And what they say is like, hey, you could have sold um, that expensive jar of perfume um, and you could have given the money to the poor, <laughs> which is a whole other sermon in itself. Um, but that story is actually different from this one in Luke. This one in Luke, the woman is unnamed. We don't know who she is. They're both in a man called Simon's house. But this in this story in Luke, the, it's Simon the Pharisee. And in that story, in the other three Gospels, it's Simon the leper. So it's two... And Simon's a very common name. Simon is like the... Uh, the smith of today <laughs> so it's smith the leper and smith the pharisee it's two different people and lepers and pharisees don't go in the same sentence in those days um and so it's two actually two different stories and we're going to look at the one in luke today that is about the unnamed woman who all we know about her is that she's called sinful um and and the setting is in simon the pharisee's house now, how we're going to look at this is that we're going to look at the three different characters and I'm going to take you through the story. So I need you to um, tap in with me, use your imagination, imagine the story. And at the end, I'll ask you a few questions um, that will really be uh, my points for today, really. Um, so if you're taking notes, 
just feel free to be creative, um, draw arrows, draw a mind map. Uh, that's how I think in my head. Um, so <laughs> you might be able to follow me. <laughs> but let's start with character number one. So there are three characters and the first person we're going to look at today, uh, look at now, is Simon. So Simon the Pharisee, in this story, you see that Simon invites um, Jesus to his home. Now, it's interesting to think why a Pharisee would invite, invite Jesus to his home. Um, and at this point, Jesus, um, you know, his ministry is just beginning in the book of Luke. He, people are starting to hear, oh, this could be the Messiah. But to the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that time, the, the, they, they were skeptical about this man. They were skeptical about, like, who is this Jesus? And, you know, Simon was probably asking um, um, himself and, 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 and his friends would have been really wanting to check Jesus out, for lack of a better word. Um, was this man really a prophet? Was his message to be believed? How did his message compare with that of the Pharisees? Were they on the same page? Was he an ally or was he an enemy? Should we stone him to death or should we keep him on our side? Um, should we resist his teaching or should we, you know, go with it? What, uh, who is this man um, and why is he causing such a stir up? And really, probably that's the reason why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his home. It was probably to just check the dude out, really. Um, <laughs> and so he invites Jesus into his home. And then we hear the story about the woman. And, and then Jesus, um, and, and then Simon kind of questioned. If you notice, Simon doesn't even say the things that he was thinking out loud. He just thinks it. He, he thinks to himself, wow. If Jesus knew who this woman was, if Jesus knew that this, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And if this, if Jesus knew this woman was a sinner, this man would not let this sinner touch him. And Simon basically, in that moment, it doesn't explicitly say that, but he was coming to a conclusion that Jesus wasn't a prophet. Jesus shouldn't be believed because he, how can he not even know that this sinner of a woman is touching him? And so Simon has two um, premises, and in his head, his premise number one is that if Jesus was a prophet, 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 <laughs> can you tell? <laughs> I'm nervous. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know people's character. And premise number two is this, if Jesus knew this woman was a sinner, he would have nothing to do with her. And his conclusion was, since Jesus has, since Jesus has accepted this woman, he clearly does not know this woman's character. Since Jesus does not know this woman's character, he clearly isn't a prophet. And since Jesus now, in Simon's head, is not a prophet, we can reject him. And, you know, if any of you do coding, not that I do coding, but I'm assuming <laughs> that your output is just as good as your input. I guess an Excel spreadsheet works that way too. If, you're, if you put in something, and that's what your thought, which is Simon's premise, he was like, if you knew, if you were a prophet, you would know this woman was sinful. If this woman was sinful, you would reject her. If that is your input, then your output and your conclusion would be what Simon was coming to. You're not a prophet. Jesus is not a prophet. And for si Simon couldn't grasp, couldn't understand that someone righteous, a prophet, could react to a sinful woman, to a sinner, with love and with grace and by accepting and not turning away. Because in those days, if you were a religious leader, there was no such thing as accepting someone who was sinful. You didn't bring them close. You didn't bring close near the unrighteous. You shoved, pushed them away. You shunned them away. But Jesus was doing the complete opposite. And as we read through, you just see Jesus. I love Jesus for many reasons. But one reason is because he's so sassy sometimes. And I really, 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 really like it. Um, <laughs> and he, instead of saying, you know, as always, instead of directly saying it to Simon, like, hey, I know what you're thinking. He asked Simon a question. He said, hey, Simon, I'm going to ask you a question. If someone had a debt to a person... And person A owes 500 silvers and person B owes 50 silvers. And if I, they both didn't have enough money, they couldn't afford to pay it back for themselves. The person forgave them both. Who do you suppose loves more? Who do you suppose is more appreciative, essentially, is what Jesus is saying. 
And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who's been forgiven more, i.e. the 500 silvers, um, that person will be more appreciative. That person will be more loving. And then Jesus says, exactly. <laughs> and then Jesus says this. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't give me the courtesy to anoint me with olive oil. But look at this woman. She did all these things for me. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little. And what Jesus is saying to Simon's thoughts there is this. First of all, I am a prophet. I know your thought even before you said them out loud. And the second thing he proved is, Simon, I didn't accept this woman not because I didn't know she was a sinner. I knew she was a sinner. Jesus explicitly says to Simon, um, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven even though they are many. He, he highlights to Simon, hey, I know her sins are many, but I have forgiven her. I have forgiven her sin. And because of that, she has shown me so much love because she knows how much she has been forgiven. And Jesus instantly with that sentence, as always, proves um, the, 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 the Simon's conclusion wrong. He proves Simon, hey, I am a prophet. I know your thoughts and I know her thoughts. It's just that I don't, th I don't treat the unrighteous the way you do. I bring in my perception of righteousness is different from yours. My, percep my, my perception of people is different from yours. I don't push them away. My response to a sinner coming to me is to bring them closer. And this was a radical thought in that time. To us, it might be like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're always like that. But this, that, that was a radical thought in that time for you to accept a sinner was so, so, so counterculture in that time. And that's, you know, one of those things I love about Jesus. And so we see that Simon was challenged. Simon probably invited Jesus into his uh, into the home, um, not to not to really get to know Jesus more or anything, but probably to like check him out, make sure we are friends, or whether we try to kill you, which we all know what they did. But Jesus spoke right to the heart of the issue. But something else that's very interesting that comes up here is what Jesus says in that analogy. Now, now stick with me for a little bit. Um, as I go through this. But Jesus says this, you know, look at the, um, if I give you two people and I forgive this person 500 silvers, the other 50 silvers, and they both can't pay it back themselves, and I uh, forgave, or the person forgave them, who, who would love more? And as we know, the answer is probably the person who's been forgiven more. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, sorry, I listened to this sermon from someone who was, um, you know, going through the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, I think, there is a list in the middle somewhere of loads of sins, okay? And it's just all the bad stuff you could possibly think of. And this person who was preaching said this. They said, you know, I find it really hard to teach from the book of Romans because, or this chapter, because it comes to this section of scripture and it's so tempting as a speaker, as a teacher, to skip that part because what do you say? And many Christians already... You know, you already think you're forgiven. You not think, you are forgiven from those things. So why talk about the ugly, bad stuff? Why talk about a list of sins? Why do we need to look, that if, look at that if we've already been forgiven? And then he said, you know what, guys? I was challenged this time to not just skip over this portion of scripture because truly this list of sin, this list of bad stuff, even as believers, is actually a precious reminder of what we've truly been saved from. And for the past eight months, I have not been able to get that thought out of my mind. And just take a moment to take that in. It is a precious reminder of how much we have truly been saved from. You know, in this scripture, in this, in this portion of scripture, Jesus, the question is, oh, if one person owes 500 silver and the other owes 50 silver, and if they both can't afford it to, to, to pay it back, and I pay it back for them, who loves more? The thing about, so obviously, <laughs> obviously the, the comparison that Jesus is drawing is 500 sins and 50 sins. They both can't pay it back because they can't pay it back for their own sins. And I took it for them. I paid off their sin. 
who is more appreciative. Now think about this. Both these people, a financial value, you know, 550 silvers, we can tell the difference, right? But my sin and your sin, how do you know whether my sin is 500 or your sin is 50? You, do you know what I mean? Um, let me let me see whether I can rephrase this. Um, me and Cat, Pastor Cat. Okay. If <laughs> Pastor Cat's sin is... <laughs> do you want the 50 or 500, Pastor Cat? Let me think. Um, you get the 50 because you're nicer than me. <laughs> so let's say Pastor Cat sin is 50 silver, let's say, and my sin is 500 silver. Pastor Ken and I will never know that hers is 50 and mine is 500, right? It is my perception of my sin. I think, if I think my sin is 500 silver, and if I view it that way, and then I come to Christ, and I understand how much I have truly been forgiven from, how much God actually did for me, then I would love so much, right? Jesus' analogy was to show that someone who understands, I think Jesus' analogy was to show that someone who understands how much they have truly been saved from, if you understand how much you've been truly saved from, you love and you love more. Both Simon the Pharisee and the unnamed woman in this story who is just known as a sinful woman, both of them are sinners in God's eyes. Both, none of them are perfect. But this woman, although maybe her sins may feel bigger, whatever they were, we don't know what sin she did or what sin she had, but she, I think she understood how much, how she understood one, how far away from God she actually truly was, how sinful she actually truly was. And because of that, she understood how much she had truly been saved from. And to me, that's a mind-boggling thought. You know, I was raised in a Christian family. And, you know, when I was younger, my faith was so simple because I truly believe it's because my father... Um, made it simple in the sense that it was very easy for me to believe that there was a heavenly father who loved me because I had an earthly father who who was a glimpse of that, an earthly father who loved me so, so much. And I genuinely believe that is the reason starting out my faith was simple. And I know not many people have that privilege and have that luxury, but because of that, I was also one of those people who took... <laughs> sin and took God really for granted because I knew whatever I did wrong my father would love me and I would never ever ever be thrown away never ever been pushed away never and it's not like my father didn't discipline me yeah he did but I also knew that that love was always there and I feel like as I grew older I lost touch of how much I actually have been saved from especially if you've been a Christian for your most of your life I always tell people I basically was Christian coming out of the womb. I was just like, hi. <laughs> and I, I I just remember from like the youngest age, I can remember myself. I was praying and I was in church. No idea what happened in between. Um, and it was just because it was so simple to believe there was a God who loved me. Because of that, I took it for granted. But I want to challenge you to think about it. For those of you maybe who have been believers for a long time, or you don't even have to be. Maybe you've just been taking for granted how much... You, God has truly saved you from how much Jesus' death in Calvary has truly actually saved you from. Maybe it's time to reflect on that and remember that because as Jesus said in this passage, when you remember that, you, you love more. And I think if you look at this passage properly, when Jesus mentions she has shown me more love, look at the comparison between Simon and this woman. Jesus doesn't say, Ma uh, not Mary, this Jesus doesn't say this woman loved the world more because she's been forgiven more. Jesus doesn't say, Simon, you love the world less because you've been forgiven less. It's not love to other people per se. And it could be, it could be love to other people. But in this passage, Jesus directly highlights this, your love to me. 
this woman understood how much she was actually safe from and because of that she showed me so much love and then Jesus compares it to Simon who didn't even give him a kiss didn't give him water to wash his feet didn't anoint him with olive oil as culture and then Jesus says those who are forgiven little love little and Jesus' forgiveness doesn't change between you and you and Pastor Cat and I. It doesn't change that way. It's, I think, it's our perception of how much we've actually been saved from. So that's my first challenge to you, to think about that. Just think about when's the last time you reflected on actually how much Jesus has actually done for you in terms of saving your soul and have given you eternal life and cancel out all this list of sins that we read. It's just a reminder of how much he has actually saved us from. And maybe that would change the way we love. You know, in those days, reading this passage, um, a, an author writes this. In those days, the reader is inclined to see in the story one sharp contrast, that which is so evident between Simon and Jesus. Here are two religious leaders suddenly in the presence of a sinful woman. One has an understanding of righteousness that causes him to distance himself from her. The other understands righteousness to mean moving toward her with forgiveness and a blessing of peace. However, the contrast Luke has in mind is actually between Simon and the woman in response to Jesus. The irony here is that even though Jesus is a guest in Simon's house, it is a sinner who extends hospitality. You gave me no water to wash my feet, Simon, and no kiss of welcome. And here she is doing all of this and far, far more because she understood how much she was forgiven. And because of that, she loved the Saviour more. So that was us looking at Simon. Now let's look at this woman. This woman, on the other hand, <laughs> is a character whose name we do not know. And all we know is that she's called a sinful woman. Now, as I said, we don't know what her sin is. It doesn't say anywhere. Many people believe and insinuate to the fact that her sin was that that she was a prostitute. But whatever her sin was, whether it was a prostitute or not, everybody else knew uh, that she was a sinful woman. And she knew that as well. And in the beginning of the story, we see this. We see her finding out somewhere, somehow, that Jesus was going to have a meal in Simon's house the Pharisee's house. And she would have known full well that this dinner would have been full of men and Pharisees and religious leaders that would scorn and mock and shame her for her sinfulness because society knew about her sin. She would have known full well that this room would be filled of those type of people. Yet there was something about Jesus being there or Jesus going to eat there that made her want to go. And at this time, you know, news about Jesus was very early on in his ministry and there was kind of stories going on everywhere that he was the Messiah, some miracles here and there. And this woman somehow knew, somehow knew that Jesus was pretty much a celebrity, I guess. Um, and, and you see the heart of it, you know, it's not, she didn't have the same heart as Simon, in my opinion, because she went, it, she brought that alabaster jar of expensive perfume with her to Simon's house. She prepared herself. She was bringing a precious offering to this place. This woman probably was like, you know what, Jesus is this celebrity, but she obviously knew that there was something precious about this Jesus, this saviour, this messiah that people were all talking about. And so she went to the house and you know, if you read through the story, you pick up that this woman was actually there early because she, it says, Jesus said that since the moment I've come in, you've not even given me um, water to wash my feet but this woman has been washing my feet and wiping my tears from the moment I came in and in order to be able to do that the woman must have been there early must have been there early waiting for Jesus to come so I asked my flatmate this I asked her why why did this woman go and see Jesus I don't get it she just brings an alabaster jar and she doesn't ask anything she doesn't say anything why why go see Jesus and my flatmate was kind of like what are you talking about, Rachel? Do you actually need a church flood? What's wrong with you? Um, and and she was trying to she was trying to tell me, dude, it's Jesus. Like she went to see Jesus. What 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 is so hard to understand? And what I what really made me reflect and made me think is this. You know, if you're going to a concert, you get something, right? 
because the person sings you're receiving something in a sense this woman when heard about jesus coming and she went to see jesus just because he was jesus now let that sink in for a moment she went without the intention to ask him of anything she went without the in- without like you know the responsibility of like needing to serve it's not like she was hired to serve at the place she went because it was jesus full stop she probably didn't even think she was going to get close maybe she thought she could just give him the oil and then leave maybe i don't know and if you don't get if you haven't clicked yet what i'm insinuating to is this no it makes me makes me wonder makes me think about how we worship god when we go to church on sunday and i'm not saying that worship is only church on sunday just an example when we go to church on sunday how many times do we one bring our very best bring whatever is precious to us to his presence the alabaster jar do we go early or do we come in late and the reason we go do we just go just because it's jesus and i'm not saying it's wrong to go asking i'm not saying it's wrong to go desiring not that but think about your it makes me think about my perception of jesus do i go just because i need to serve do i go because i coordinate the plant do i go because it is blessing i desire do i go because it's forgiveness i desire or do i go just because i serve the king of kings and the lord of lords just because i serve the living god just because i serve and i just because he's the messiah and this woman's simplicity her preciousness really of going with her best most precious alabaster jar going early and going with no other intention but just to see the messiah because he is the messiah it makes me really think about how i worship god how we worship god and you know the other thing the the alabaster jar it might look just like a th- a thing that she spent money on right it might just it says a beautiful alabaster jar that's filled with expensive perfume and if you read the portion of scriptures in Matthew Mark and John about Mary using the alabaster jar it explains really in the footnotes of how expensive the alabaster jar actually is and how expensive the perfume is and how much it must have actually cost and that's already mind blowing in itself but the other thing that the woman brought willingly was this she was willing to lay down her pride her ego at Jesus' feet she was willing to lay down her money and things that were precious to her but similarly she knew she knew that she was going yeah she knew that she was going to a place that everyone knew she was sinful and that she was going to this place to be ridiculed and she would be ridiculed more scorn and shame she knew that yet she went anyway and that just she her alabaster jar was more than just that perfume the alabaster jar is a symbol of pre- what is precious to you and what was precious to her her ego her pride her character her identity her money her resources her perfume everything she was willing to lay that at jesus's feet and that was the purity of what she brought for worship what she brought to see just see not ask if she was asking for something it might have been worth it in my head like you know in the in in this day and age but she was willing to give up all those things just to see just a glimpse of the messiah she was willing to give that give that up and that really makes me think of how i view god how i view jesus whether i would give up everything to just see him not even receive just see him and the third character in the story that I want to highlight which has been interspersed throughout I'm sure you know is Jesus and we've seen so many aspects of Jesus at, at the moment the fact that he doesn't push the unrighteous away but brings them in 
the fact that he is he is the Messiah. He's the one who saves us from our sins. And yeah, just his kindness and love to this woman. But towards the end, we see this. He says all these things to Simon and the woman. And he turns around to the woman and says, oh, well, to Simon and says, I tell you, though her sins are many, her sins have been forgiven. And then he says, go, your faith, go in peace, your faith has saved you. And what I love about Jesus is this. You know, you might go into his presence, maybe unable to say anything. Maybe you're like this woman who, when you go into Jesus' presence, all that you feel like doing is crying because maybe it feels like you are super sinful. Maybe it feels like you're lost. Maybe it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And it's not wrong to feel that way. And sometimes, you know, you condemn, we condemn ourselves because we enter Jesus' presence and we can't even worship. We can't even open our mouth. We just stand there and we cry. And I, I remember how that feels like. I know what that feels like. And I'm sure many of you do too. But the, the, the thing about Jesus is this. He knows exactly what you needed. Maybe this woman didn't even know that what she needed was forgiveness. Maybe she thought she was beyond hope. But Jesus looks at her and directly speaks to what she actually needs. Forgiveness. Save. She needed a saviour. And she needed that peace to go. And Jesus gave her that without her even asking. Just, just because she showed up. That is the God that we serve. And you know, to tie it all up, I was thinking of a story I could tell you guys. Um, and you know, many of you know that I recently graduated. Praise God. Thank you for all the love, church. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And this five years has been one that has been challenging for me for many different reasons. Um, and one of them being, you know, I was just reflecting and God, my God and my flatmate really <laughs> asked me this, what is your alabaster jar? What was, what was precious to me that I gave? And I will admit right up from the front that I'm not like this woman. I didn't willingly be like, God, take my alabaster jar. Um, <laughs> it kind of got taken away from me. <laughs> uh, I guess I learned the hard way. But, but anyway, my alabaster jar, what was precious to me, what has been precious to me for a very long time is my identity. And coming to university in Edinburgh, I <laughs> don't want to sound arrogant, but I was a very high accomplished, highly accomplished 19 year old um, <laughs> with a lot of awards and accolades. I uh, was top of my class for years. Um, I was an athlete. I ran my own club, my own sports club. I trained them, I coached them, I competed. Um, and, you know, I even though I was raised a believer and would very easily tell everyone my identity is in the Lord, like, you know, I went to church, I serve, you know, praise God, my identity is in Him. I would be able to tell you all those things. But you never truly understand that until what is precious is taken away from you. And, you know, when, when, when first year started, you know, things were okay. You know, I was still living my identity, you know, being like, well, trying to. Uh, I was just living off the past identity. And not many people know this, but the same week I was asked whether I wanted to lead church the year after um, the, the pioneer left. Um, the same week I got asked um, by the Great Britain women's team um, of the sport I play, whether I wanted to play for the national squad and instantly training would begin in London every two weeks. Um, training here locally would be every Sunday. Um, I would be off flying, playing tournaments in dream places um, in Finland, in Sweden. Uh, you know, it was it was an offer that I wanted to take if I could. I thought it would look great on my CV. And I wasn't going to be an athlete anyway. But who doesn't want to play for Great Britain? Like, um, But thank God for my gung-ho 19-year-old Steph. I was like, you know what? Church is the most important thing in the world. Like, I'm going to say yes. And I took on church. And obviously, because of that, gave up this spot in the women's team. And I didn't realize what it took away from me. Um, I thank God now 
but in the process i lost my identity as an athlete i lost my identity as um someone who was very involved in sports and that that was fine that was one aspect along the way because of my own lack of discipline i struggled academically and there was a few times there uh, throughout my five years that i nearly failed my exams and a few years ago i would i was so prideful and i was so egoistic that i would never tell you that i nearly failed something never in a million years that was like unheard of um failure was not in my dictionary um but because of everything god has done with me i can tell you the truth that there was a few times there that i nearly failed um and it was not because god was punishing me or anything well i hope not um <laughs> it was my lack of discipline and inability to juggle things be just because of myself really i didn't know how to say no to certain things and stuff like that so that was that that part of being you know a top student was taken away from me and because of the the saying because i said yes to church and because i was in medical school my time became a limited resource um and i couldn't do anything much of anything else outside of church really because it was yeah, i had growing responsibilities and things like that and because of that, I, I felt like I lost another part of myself. I used to do so many things extracurricularly, had a beautiful CV, it was shining, it was glowing. And then suddenly I felt like everyone else around me was doing so many things and I just couldn't afford to. I just didn't have the time. And that part of my identity was taken away. Along the way, a lot of other things happened. Relationships broke down, you know, I struggled with different things. And it just kept feeling that God was taking away what was precious to me, my identity. So much so that I realized now looking back that I would hold on to my identity so much, I would talk about it so much because I wanted it to still define me because I was a different person today. And only recently did I realize that that was what was precious to me. My identity was what made me me. And I thank God that now after having all those things taken away because I chose to serve him, because I chose to worship him, unlike that woman I didn't bring my alabaster jar willingly <laughs> but now that i i look back and i see that you know saying yes to church saying yes to his calling allowed me to bring in one way or another my alabaster jar to him i realized breaking it at his feet was so worth it i can't say i'm completely better today or whatever but a little bit more of me understands that the things of this world fade away my successes of this world fade away, but my relationship with God, serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, bringing everything I have. It, it's not about, it's not about doing just church things, you know. If God's calling away your life for something else, you know, I'm not asking you to give up everything. If your calling was to be an athlete, don't give up like that space position um, to, you know, uh, I don't know, run a plant, <laughs> like unless God calls you to. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying give it up i didn't give up medical school to do church full-time you know it was still part of my calling but yeah i didn't realize how much giving up what was precious to me would would mean and you know i was learning all those things and you know my time in Edinburgh has been precious um my church family is everything i live for essentially um um and, you know, I, I started to feel like, you know, God, wow, I gave you my all, God. Um, <laughs> you better reward me at some time. <laughs> I don't think that way. That's not good. Um, and, you know, this year, <laughs> as I was getting a bit more of a hold of myself, um, I found out some really hard news when I came back for my final year of medicine. Um, and it's just a testimony I wanted to share with you guys just to encourage you. Um, but when I came back to, uh, to to the UK for my final year of medicine, uh, my family found out that my uncle, who was very close to me, my family is like really, really tight, like it's really weird, but we were very, very close. Um, and my uncle, who was very, very, very close to my family, to me, um, was diagnosed with end-stage cancer. And it was extra painful because I was actually back home for summer. Um, and he was telling me about the symptoms and I didn't click. And when you're a doctor yourself, you just expect it to click, um, but it didn't. And it was so bond or obvious. It was so obvious what it was. I was just gutted, um, <laughs> to say the least. And I was supposed to go to Africa for my elective this year. I, was, I planned it all. I raised money for Africa. You know, I was ready to go. 
I changed it, swapped everything, changed all the money, directed it back to Malaysia um, and was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go back. For me, it felt like, you know, God, I've given you everything. I've given you my identity. It felt like, you know, when you wash a cloth and then you like squeeze it and God was just like squeezing the last ounce of me and the last thing that was precious to me was my family and it just felt like God was even taking that away. I'm like, God, you take away my awards, you take away my sports, like leave me alone for once. But God was like, it felt like God was taking that away from me. And so I became a bit like this woman. I, I feel like I relate to her because I can't remember over the past year ever praying for my uncle, praying for myself. It sounds terrible. And thank God for church members and families and partners who walked alongside me and my family. But I couldn't. I just felt um, paralyzed in my prayer life. I just felt unable to ask anything and maybe to a certain extent I felt like I didn't deserve it maybe to a certain extent I felt like there was nothing asking for there's no hope and I would just go to Jesus's presence a little bit like this woman just not saying anything really just being like I mean I'll pray for church and stuff but nothing for myself and my life and my family and my uncle and like one day before my final exam this this year in February you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, all of this will be worth it when you get to go back and see your uncle and, you know, spend time with him before things get worse and maybe I don't have the chance to see him again and things like that. And the day before my final exam, <laughs> because of COVID, my flight to Malaysia got cancelled and my plans to Malaysia got cancelled. And I actually, kid you not, sat in front of the computer in the library and bawled my eyes out like a crazy psychopath. I was just like crying and crying i was like god why would you do this to me i've given my life to you i've given everything to you can't i just go back and see my uncle who is like gonna die because he's unwell like what's wrong with you and i was just like god why would you do this to me and you know i was telling everybody i'm so excited to go back to malaysia because it's my birthday can't wait to party da, da, da. but actually i just wanted to see him like i just wanted to see him before i didn't get a chance to anymore and it was so hard and I remember thinking like oh god and I remember being just like paralyzed in my prayer life you know just just unable to say anything even in this COVID-19 pandemic if I'm honest I'm not one of those people who went to my feet and be like god help us I was one of those people who's like god even more I just can't pray anymore I just can't I don't know what to ask you but all I tried to do was go to him and give him my best even if my best was just silence and at his feet, weeping, well, not wiping the tears with my hair, but, you know, just, just worshipping him, even if the worship was wordless. Just going to church, just being there, just standing there and saying, God, I'm here because you deserve it. I'm here because at the moment, this is my all. I can't do anything else. And a few days ago, a few weeks ago, one week ago, I got a phone call from my mom. And, you know, this is the part about God that I love. The part about God that just <sighs> reminds me every time that this faith is worth it. Um, I got a call from my mom that said my uncle went for a scan. And somehow, well, miraculously, the scan came back completely clear. And my uncle, who supposedly had late stage cancer suddenly has no cancer um and as a medic myself <laughs> i i know that that is slightly impossible um except when you have a god who is the god of the impossible but a god who just shows up and knows what you need knows what you need even before you know it and even when you don't know what's best for you i thought what's best for me is i just needed to go home you know, this woman might have thought, I just need to see Jesus, you know, I don't deserve anything. And sometimes I felt that way as well. But Jesus said, hey, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That woman might not have even known that forgiven was, forgiveness was what she needed. I didn't know that I just needed to be reminded of how much God knew me, knew my heart, watched for my family, even when it felt like it didn't. And I want to praise God and honor God for the healing Oh, my uncle, I want to encourage all of you. You know, I had to practice a million times before I told you that there hasn't many because I was telling Pastor Cat I could have never gone through that story without crying <laughs> and I didn't want to ruin my makeup. <laughs> Which sounds really childish, but 
but I want to encourage you, your testimony, share it. You know, you never know who needs to hear that. And I pray that it is my practicing uh, is a blessing to at least one of you to believe for healing, but to believe that God knows what you need even before you say it, even when you don't know what you need, God knows. And so wrapping up, I have three questions for you. And I know I've gone, taken you through a story about these three characters in this story. Simon the Pharisee and how he viewed God how he viewed Jesus, how it was about questioning him, how he couldn't understand how a, love, how a righteous God would let an unrighteous person near. We talked about Mary, who turned up, who was early, who brought her very best, who may not have known what she could say, what she, what she could do anymore, because she was so sinful, maybe didn't know what she needed, but she turned up and she showed up just, just because this was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then we look at Jesus, who knows you, knows your heart before more than you could ever know yourself. And a God who shows up, and a God who is kind, and a God who is loving. My three questions for you as we end is this. Number one, who or what is it you worship? There's a quote that says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And it's a deep one. Take your time to think about it. <laughs> But more and more as I think about it, I believe it. How you, how you view God is the most important thing about you. Because if you view God like yourself, like Simon the Pharisee did, Simon the Pharisee was a man who would push the unrighteous away. And if you view God that way, you will push the unrighteous in your life away. If you feel unrighteous, you will think God pushes you away. You won't worship the real God. You will worship a God that you've created, the premises you have made up about that God. Like Simon did. Simon looked at Jesus and said, you can't be a prophet. You let a sinner near you. You don't know she's a sinner. Who or what is it you worship? Question number two is this. How do you worship? If you look at the woman, she worshipped by bringing her very best Everything that was precious to her, she brought to Jesus. The alabaster jar, the willingness to lay down her ego, her pride, to open herself up to ridicule, mock and shame. But she, yet she brought that all to Jesus. She was early. She turned up early. She gave her best. And she served and served humbly. She sat at his feet. She wiped his feet with her tears. And that's not a glorious job, wiping someone's feet, wiping someone's feet with your hair. It's not a glorious job. But she did it anyway. She didn't need to be front stage. She didn't need to be up in front. She was willing to just sit back, wipe feet, do the small jobs that people didn't, might not have thought mattered. But Jesus saw her. Jesus thought it mattered. Jesus knew it mattered. Jesus knew that there was honour in that woman's life. How do you worship? Not just on a Sunday, on your everyday life. How do you worship? And number three, why do you worship? Do you worship God because he gives you something? Do you come to God's presence asking or wanting something like I, I do a lot of times? You know, Sam led us in a song a few weeks ago. I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you could ever do. I just want you. Is that how you view God? Is that why you worship? Do you worship God simply because he is God? Simply because he is the Messiah? Simply because he has saved you for so, from so much more than you could ever ask for or imagine? He has saved you from so, so, so much. Is that why you worship? Or do you worship because you want something from Jesus? Do you worship because you want to ask him some questions like Simon did? Or do you worship because he gives, because he forgives, because of many different things? Why do you worship? So as we end, I pray that somehow something in that long story <laughs> spoke to you. And that you think about that. Think about what or who is it you worship. Do you worship a God who... who saves you and loves you and has saved you from so much? 
how do you worship do you give god your very 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 best and your best in every season changes your all in every season changes my all when i was 19 is different to my all today as a doctor it, it changes and thirdly how do you worship no why do you worship do you worship him for blessing or do you come with a heart that said god i just want you you are more than enough you don't owe me anything i just want you just let's pray father i thank you for the word today father i pray that everything that i say god is of you and from you and god as people hear god may it be you at the center of their hearts whatever it is that might have spoken to them god i pray may it just not return to you void god but may you stir up difference and change in in their hearts lord i pray god for um for the for every person listening today whatever it is you may have spoken to them lord i pray that may you guide their thoughts as they think about you may you give them an action something that they can do and work and act on this god and god may you teach us to have a heart just like this woman did a heart that comes so simply into your presence just because you're a god who deserves it because you are you we come into your presence god and lord i pray oh god um for your presence to just go with each person as we leave today that you work in our hearts oh god and make me make us true worshipers of you the king of kings and the lord of lords the god who deserves all praise and deserves our worship we thank you for these things in jesus name we pray amen if you've been touched by today's message and would like to invite jesus into your life why don't you join me in saying this prayer lord jesus Thank you for paying the ultimate price for my sins by dying on the cross for me. I receive your love and forgiveness and eternal life by faith. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you've been blessed by today's message. For more information about Acts, you can check out www.actschurch.uk. God bless.